0: So let's pray, why don't we? And Father, in the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, God of great love and God of great mercy, we are in awe of your presence, that you are mighty God. Love us. You created us just to love us. And you desire for us to be with you, so much so that you sent your son Jesus to die for our sins as we get ready to enter into the holiest week of the year, when your son gave his life for love of us, help us to allow this coming week to be personal, to truly enter into it, not just going through a bunch of rituals, but entering into relationship with you, with Jesus, to the power of your spirit. Father, we beg you these things, not in our name or our merits, but in the name of merits of Jesus, your son, amen. Mary, mother of Jesus, pray for us. Good Saint Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, again, yes, tomorrow is Father Larry's birthday. I'm going to be old tomorrow. I'm going to be 61 years old. I can't even imagine, but let me tell you, 60 has really stunk, <laughs> you know? So that's all I can say. It began, They were gonna have a, a great big birthday party for me on my 60th, which got had to be canceled last week. And I mean, last year. And then um, we went right into this. So I was, you know, in quarantine for uh, my birthday last year. And then I ended up in the hospital uh, in August. They almost died with uh, diabetic ketosis and, you um, and then last week, you know, something else came up with me, and they're still trying to work it out. And I said, okay, we got to get rid of this 60. 60 was bad. So uh, we're working on uh, what's 61. Hopefully, tomorrow is going to be a great new year, a great thing of hope and spring, because we're in the middle of spring, and uh, we'll go from there. So. I am in Missouri City in Houston, Texas doing a parish mission as I started out in the beginning telling you and we haven't had, we've had a great crowd for the pandemic. You know, it hasn't been full full because it really can't be. but We've had a lot of people watching on uh, live streaming app for their parish and last night we had some great confessions and tonight Uh, We bless the oil today from St. Joseph's Oratory, and we will use that tonight for adoration and healing. So I ask you to continue to pray for us and pray for these people. And then I have a hotel tonight by the Bush International Airport. And then uh, I leave very early in the morning. We uh, get on the plane like at 4.45 in the morning. uh, And then I'm gonna see my mother tomorrow in Pittsburgh. So uh, that'll be uh, fantastic. For a bit, and then I head back up to Erie, and my classmates are taking me out for a birthday dinner, uh, even though it's a Friday of Lent. But I can have some beer and pizza with no meat on it, I would imagine. So that's what I'm planning on doing. So thank you all for all that. Okay, so let's get right to it, huh? Let's get into the questions if we can. Okay, and again, you just type these in, and then we'll get to them as uh, best. I know, it's just a number, as best we can. Is there free will in heaven? Well, again, where this is a theological um, speculation, but there always must be free will. And the reason I say that is because the devil had a chance to go to hell because he had free will and he saw the fullness of God. He saw God in all his glory, but he still said, I will not serve and then was kicked out of heaven. Um, So the greatest gift God gave us, according to St. Thomas Aquinas, the first greatest gift was he gave us existence. The second greatest gift he gave us was free will. And so our God is not about taking back his gifts after he has given them. So for all eternity, we will be free. And the reason again for that would be because God, if God is love, he can't force us to love. Love always must be a freely chosen uh, entity. So again, as I was talking to the people here last night that I did my passion talk, which was very intense, and I just kept saying, listen, if the only reason we come to God is because we're afraid to go to hell, who do we love? Ultimately ourselves. It's not about being in a relationship with God. and." If there's anything that, if anyone was to ask me like, what's the one thing we could do better in Catholicism? And I would say letting, and leading people into intimate relationship with God. Because sometimes, nobody here is watching, but sometimes people just go through rituals with God. And as I've said a million times, ritual without love is spiritual rape. That's not what God is calling us to. He's calling us to this intimacy of love where we choose to be with him, where we want to be with him. It's all about him. And so that would never be taken away from us, our free will, and that's the first part of your question. So, do people have free will to inflict suffering in heaven as they do on earth? Again, they could, but they would no longer be in heaven. Now, again, the theology is, as I was growing up, that uh, once you're in heaven, you're always gonna be in heaven because you see the beatific vision and you would never change your mind. And uh, I would agree with that. So again, nobody can do anything apart from God's holy will in heaven. Because again, what does it mean to be holy? It means when God's will and our will become one. And so we strive for that every day on this earth, to seek God's will and to live his will every day. And then we strive to do that all the days of our life and then hopefully one day forever in heaven. Remember, as we even say the Lord's Prayer, It says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we could never do anything apart from God's will and stay in heaven. I hope that helps you. And you might have some great theologians that are much better than me that would explain it in a different way. But uh, that's the way I I can do that. Okay. Do-do-do-do-do, remind us again of why we cover statues at church during these last couple of weeks. Well, it's an old tradition to show us that we're going into mourning, if you will, but we don't do it at our church. I did it, I think, once or twice, and it's no longer necessary. You know, it was, everybody had to do it. But to me, like, I want to be able to look at the crucifix, Christ on the cross, during holy week and these times coming up to it i want to have the angels and saints be with me as i start meditating on the the life of christ and what he did for us and i don't want to do that alone i think that the older i get the more that i know i don't want to do anything alone that i don't want to you know some people's vision of heaven is we just look at god forever and he loves us and we love him Well, I don't think that has anything to do with the reality of heaven. Heaven is, since God is love, and God has always been a trinity of love, that heaven's the place where we love him or we love. He loves us and we love each other forever. What we're on this earth for is to learn to love, to be like the God of love. And so, for all the statues in that remind me uh, that we're not alone in this. The great thing about the communion of saints You know, there's no such thing as the communion of the damned. There's only the communion of saints. Because if someone goes to hell, they are alone forever. Teresa Avila, one of the things that brought her to conversion into a deeper level of following God into sanctity is that she, God revealed to her and helped her to experience her place in hell. Isn't that a nice thing? And she could She was laying there and she was burning, but never consumed. And she could see other people, but there was total aloneness, that we are alone forever in hell. But in heaven, there's always the communion of saints. We're together forever. And so again, but the traditional thing is, you know, we're going into a very, uh, um, a deeper time, a more sorrowful time in the church and to keep us focused And that. But again, I don't do it for the reasons I just tell you and it's not something you have to do. But yes, a lot of the churches, even the um, the church I was at uh, last week, they had already covered their their statues And I go, there you go. And it's a beautiful tradition. I just don't, uh, for my own parish, do that. But if people wanted it, of course I would. That's part of the reality. Okay. Let's keep going here. Remind us, why does Hebrews state that the animal offerings did not please God when he gave them the rules for these... Sac- exactly. I, I thought the same exact thing when I read that. I said, well, if, if it didn't do anything, well, God's the one who told us to do it in the first place. So... Uh, it was a forerunner. You know, when the Hebrew says that it didn't offer up, it couldn't, it could offer up a yearly sacrifice is what happens. Like every year, the high priest would take and um, talk the sins into the the offerings and kill it or send it out. But it was only like a one-year thing. So every year you had to redo this. But when Christ the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, when he offers up his life on the cross, the true Lamb of God, it's the sacrifice above all other sacrifices and takes away all sins forever. That's what we believe, right? That's why again, as we enter into this holiest of weeks, we gotta be reminding always what God has done for us, not what we have done for him. That this God, the universe cannot contain, just to save us, became one of us, died on the cross to fulfill the justice of God, and gave everything. And it's what he did for us, not what we do for him, especially in this holiest of weeks. So again, I'd encourage you as you enter this week to just think of two words the whole week, for me. Everything Jesus Christ did, he did for me, he did for you. So if you sit there and you enter into this and you're listening to The Passion on Good Friday or Palm Sunday, and you're just sitting there thinking this whole time, he did this for me because he loved me. When that happens, then this becomes a great week, not just something we have to get through. When I was younger, I used to call this week for priests hell week because we have all these services and we got all this stuff. And I said, well, it was hell week for Jesus too. Let me tell you, it was hell week for Jesus. So what we need to be going in is knowing, again, this is a relationship and how we can fall more in love. This should be the whole thing about how we fall more in love with Jesus this week, okay? So, but I agree, I said this, I thought the exact same thing, so he told us anyway. uh, No, call no man father. Why are we not discouraged to call father outside of the sacraments? First of all, that's one of my hot topic things. When Jesus says, call no man father, he did not mean priest. They did not call priest father in those days. He also said, call no man teacher. And the same thing, how come we don't ever bring that up? Call no man teacher, call no man your rabbi. Why don't we bring those things up too? Why do we just focus on father? But beside the point, what God is trying to say is that, again, I was going into a hospital once to anoint one of my kids who was dying. And uh, it was late at night and I had a sign in and, and he said, what's your name? And I said, Father Larry Richards. He says, no, you're not father. Call no man father. And I said, what do you call your dad, sir? And he goes, it's just a, I just said, ah, what do you call your dad? And you call him father, don't you? Isn't that amazing? So what happens is, is that when Jesus said, call no man father, that's exactly who he said call no man father to. That we don't call our dad the one that was intimate with our mother and begot us because he's not our dad. Our dad, our father, is God the father. So when he says call no man father, he's saying, don't you get it, the true father of every single Christian is God. Like when I do a baptism and people are used to me now, but I always say now, and there's the husband and wife there normally. And I always say, now we all know that Joe here is not the father of this child. And everybody goes, oh, and some people say, I knew it, I knew it. But Joe is the sacrament. He is like Saint Joseph. The true father of the child is God the father. So when Jesus says, call no man father, He meant don't call your dad your father because he's not. Now, again, does that mean we shouldn't call our dad father? Of course not. It's going deeper. Again, you got to remember that Jesus spoke in Aramaic, and then the Aramaic was translated into the Greek, and the scriptures were then written in Greek, and then, later on, Saint Jerome came and took the Greek and translated into the Latin, the Vulgate. And then the Latin was been translated into the English and Spanish and everything else. So the reality is, we are reading something which is a translation of a translation of a translation of a translation, and so we gotta watch how we sit there and say, well, it says this explicitly. What is the true meaning of it? The true meaning of it is it is it. God is our true father but also as an aside who's the first one that called themselves father in the Bible when it comes to Christians do 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 Saint Paul Saint Paul says am I not your father who begot you and he meant spiritually so that's why we call priests father I hope that helps, (laughs) I hope. Uh, It wasn't too much of a hot button topic for me, but you know how I can get Anyway, so here we go, Uh, let's go on. I have many questions for you and I study via St. Augustine Institute, Adoration More, Reconcile, God so loved the world, with he who loves his life will lose it. I'm thinking it's like the rich young man, true Sam, that when, when God says he so loves us, that means he gave everything for us, but he wants us to learn to be like him. Do you not think that it gives God great joy to love, to always be more concerned about us? See, that's why I think we do him such a great service when we make God this ogre. This God is a God of great love. That's who he is. And so love is, means giving up your life. The father always gave up his life for his son the son always gave up his life for a father their love is so real it's the holy spirit and when he begot us and created us He created us to love us and he wants us to know the joy of what it's like to be him my new book coming out which i brought here with me to finish it and i still didn't have a chance of course not (laughs) anyway it's going to get done but the reality the opening line says we were created by love to be love and the world doesn't know love so God wants us to be like him. So it says when, no, if you seek your life, you're gonna lose it. It's because we're being ultimately selfish. God's calling all of us to be ultimately selfless, like he is selfless. And so I hope that helps, it's just a a short thing, but anyway, I hope that explains it a little bit. I do miss our beautiful crucifix in the church as we come to Holy Week and Easter, exactly okay what do you advise how can we teach protect our children about gender identity when public schools are teaching them to celebrating different genders yeah joy i always i believe that we gotta again teach them who they are in god you know public schools and that are trying to talk about people's identity without god so for me, the biggest thing always is Mark chapter one, verse 11, when God the Father looks at Jesus and says, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. When your children were baptized, God said to them, as they said to you, "Your are God's beloved son, you are God's beloved daughter. We get adopted by God. So who teaches us who, he is, who we are is the one who created us. So, but the thing of it is when it comes to this gender gender identity. We gotta make sure we're not just fighting with people over this and saying, you're all wrong, you're all going to hell. And I'm I'm sure you're not that way. That we gotta love them. And again, when we love people, then they get to know the God of love and then they let him determine their identity. Again, as I've said, before God gives the 10 commandments to us, he first sets us free from slavery, that's what he did in the Old Testament with the Israelites. Before we tell people and give them commandments and demand of them they must do as we believe, we need them to experience the love of God in their own life, and if they know the love of God, then they can let the God of love form them into who he created them to be. But just complaining and yelling at people and saying how bad you all are and all that. And that's what, there's a lot of people that are doing that now. And like I said last night, again here, I said, you got to watch because there's a lot of people out there in the name of the church doing a lot of angry and hurtful and uh, condemning things. But you can always tell what's of God and what's not of God by if it has humility in it. Because the devil, as the saints said, the one thing he cannot imitate is humility. So, when we have priests screaming, and I'm one of those priests that used to do it. Again, I used to do this all the time. You can watch the videos and you can see all the things and people have a right to say, Father Larry is, uh, wasn't very humble. And they are completely right. And I wasn't of God at that time either. I hopefully have grown, but Whenever we see any of this stuff, we need to approach all these topics with humility because some people will never, well, most people will never listen to us if all we do is tell them they're wrong and how wrong they are. But if we meet them where they are with humility and we talk to them about the love of God, then we can get them to where God wants them to be. But we do that the way Jesus dealt with the woman caught in adultery Does anyone condemn you? No one, sir, neither do I condemn you. Then he says, go and sin no more. So this is the thing. You talk to your own children about who they are and how much God loves them and they are beloved sons and daughters of the Father. And that God created these gender uh, people that are having gender, gender identity crisis. You just tell them God created them as a beloved son or daughter, but since they don't know his love, they struggle. And I think that's always the issue. If you don't know the love of God, you don't know who you are, you don't know why you were created, you don't know the meaning of your own life. So how do we expect people who are pagans to ever even see things the way we do if they don't know God? So we need to do everything in our power to bring him into a relationship with Jesus to do everything in our power to help them to know how much God loves them. So that then when they know that, then they come to know who they are in God. And then it's not an issue. But that's where we gotta begin. Again, in the best I can answer in this little bit of time. Okay? Okay. Sam, reconcile, we are saved by grace with Book of Revelation works. The way we saved, we are saved by grace, 100% saved by grace is what God did for us, not what we do for him. But, so when you and I stand before God in judgment, he says, why should I let you into heaven? The only answer is because Jesus Christ died for my sins. But then the father will look at us and say, prove it. And then you gotta show the way you've lived your life. You understand that? You have to show them the way you live your life. You have to show God the Father. Because the church teaches we're saved by faith and works. Well, sometimes people just jump to works. You know, forget, forget the faith thing. The faith is that Jesus Christ died for me and that I will live because of him. And so the purpose of my life is that I'm not trying to work out my salvation. Well, I am, I guess, the Paul said it that way. But I'm no longer, I no longer live, right, Galatians? I mean, yeah, Galatians 2, 19 and 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. So life I live now is no longer my own, you see that? So it's grace, I've been crucified with him, I've given up my life. The life I live is no longer my own. Jesus Christ lives inside of me. I still live my human life, yes, but it's a life of faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. We need to let Jesus live his life through us. That means we are expressing faith in works. And so we're saved by grace accepted through faith and works but it's still 100% what God did for us not what we do for him so that's why all of scripture you need to always not just proof scripture each thing well this script you know i was reading a great thing today that if you want to uh, find arguments for slavery, you'll find them in the Bible. If you want to find arguments against slavery, you'll find them in the Bible. If you want to find arguments why women should be oppressed, you'll find them in the Bible. If you want to find why women are set free and have dignity in Christ, you'll find it in the Bible. It's all what you're looking for. So that's why the church has always says, all of scripture must be taken in its entirety. And so we got to remember that we can't just pull out a scripture verse and say, well, this is what it means and say, see, we have to take it with the whole context. You know, so when Paul says we're saved by faith and then James says we're not saved by faith alone, we're saved by uh, works. And then Matthew 25 says, whatever you do the least my brothers or uh, fail to do to the least my brothers, uh, that's what you did to me. So all these things, we have to take all these things together and that's what the church has done for the last 2000 years and say this is what we believe and why, okay? So I hope that helps too. Okay, what should we be doing on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday in Holy Week besides meditating for me? (laughs) It makes it sound selfish there, didn't it, when you said it that way? (laughs) You should, first of all, like uh, you should be preparing your heart So the best thing I would encourage you to do is read uh, the Passion in Mark's Gospel and what led up to the Passion, you know, and not only in Mark's Gospel, it's the longest with that, but go and walk with Jesus through that. You know, what we're gonna be doing is my Passion Talk will be on uh, Tuesday night, and we do the other um, Novena of St. Joseph on Wednesday. But even like, there's the traditional, like I do every year, and I'm gonna be doing it this year, if I'm uh, physically able to, but the traditional fast is from Holy Thursday after Mass until after the Easter vigil. It's a three-day fast. Uh, so you can truly enter into this holiest of weeks. But this whole week is to be walking with Jesus. And so if you really wanted to go it great, you start in Mark's Gospel where it begins the Passion. And you know, everything that's leading up to the Passion. And if you really want to make it uh, more intimate, start a journal this week and talk to Jesus about how he felt as this was coming up. Because again, last night, as I talked about the passion, it wasn't Jesus didn't go through and say, oh, joy, I get to die for everybody. He said, Father, let this cup pass me by. Not just once, but three times. He sweat blood. And he begged God to let it pass him by. And yet three times, He said, not my will, but yours be done. So you can start journaling about where Jesus was on that stuff. And then every day, focus on a particular thing. You know, his passion, his last supper, his uh, resurrection. But then don't just look at him. Say, Jesus, what do you want me to do to let you live your life through me this week? Again, Enter and walk in this relationship with Jesus. Don't just look for practices to do. You know, tell me to fast more. Okay, I'm not, again, I never forget years ago, I was with Father Karapi and we were down in California and he was telling people, make sure you say your rosary, make sure you do this, make sure you do that. And they were all, yay, yay, yay. And then he left the priesthood on his 20, the very day of his 20th anniversary. Now we got to pray for him that he becomes a great saint But if you just do practices, it's easy to walk away. If you're in relationship, it's very hard to walk away. So more than anything this week, enter into a relationship with Jesus and ask Jesus what he was going through and what does he want you to go through as you continue to live his life, okay? Let Jesus live his life through you. Okay, okay, you mentioned, Sam, you're asking a lot of questions today. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to get them all in. But anyway, let's try. You mentioned there are 19 scriptures that say confess to a priest, but I cannot find any that say the word priest because it says presbyter. There's a lot of, uh, again, um, I don't have my Bible. It's in the other room and I don't wanna leave here. But it does say, like, again, at the end of, right after the resurrection in John's Gospel. It's, he breathed on them, he gives them the Holy Spirit and he says, receive the Holy Spirit, those whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Those who sins you hold bound, those are held bound. So that's a proof text about why we confess our uh, sins to a priest. Because he was talking to the priest, the 12 apostles. So you don't have to see the word priest. That's not what I meant. I meant that in that, if you go and look at that uh, uh, scripture for the um, uh Bible thumper, It's going to give you all the scriptures that refer to why you need to confess your sins. And we put in priest. But it just says, like, again, in James, it says, confess your sins one to another that you may find healing. It says, is there any sick among you? Let them send for the priest of the church. Let the priests or the presbyters lay hands on them. And uh, if, they have forg- if they have committed any sins, their sins will be forgiven them. So there's a lot of scriptures there. It doesn't, you can't look in scripture and just say, tell me, it says, confess it to a priest. It just doesn't say that because the word will be a presbyter or will be elder. It depends on how it's translated. But you'll get the scriptures that put it in the context of that. Okay. So don't go looking for the word priest. Look for the theology behind it. That's where you'll get that. Okay, Samuel, Samar, I don't know how many more I'll be able to get to you because I want to get everybody in. Thank you. Okay. Get that Get that uh, Bible thumper through Ascension Press and it'll show you all those scriptures, okay? Okay. Linda, I find my prayer life has become very me-centered lately. How can I break out of the cycle, especially when I'm by myself most of the time because of COVID? The biggest thing is... This Like say your rosary for somebody else. Say your Divine Mercy Chaplet for somebody else. Offer up uh, your daily sufferings for other people for they would come to conversion or different things. Again, as I've talked about, when you say the Divine Mercy Chaplet, instead of just saying, because of a sorrowful passion have mercy on me and on the whole world. Say, because of a sorrowful passion have mercy on my mother and on the whole world. Because of a sorrowful passion have mercy on my dad and on the whole world. Because of a sorrowful passion have mercy on my son and on the whole world. Because of a sorrowful passion have mercy on my daughter and the whole world. Because of a sorrowful passion have mercy on Mary, my neighbor and on the whole world. Because of my sorrowful passion have mercy on Joe, my enemy and on the whole world. You know what I'm saying? So now every day you're praying, you put someone else's name in there so your prayer is becoming other-centered. And again, when you pray for others, God's grace comes upon you. He blesses you, the more abundantly you're other-centered, the more abundantly God blesses you. The more self-centered we are, the less we're blessed. Because God doesn't want us to do anything that's gonna keep us in selfishness. Everything he does is to teach us to love more. So even if you're alone at home, you can still be praying for the world. You can still be praying for people. There's lots of people that need prayers. And you can be the instrument of salvation to them through your prayers. You become that spiritual magnifying glass. Okay? So, there you go. Andy just got me right in the middle of this. So, anyway, <laughs> thanks, Andy. <laughs> but, okay. Okay. Do 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 do. It is so refreshing to see you today, the Our Father, actually looking up to heaven, of course. We gotta pray to the Our Father. We gotta do it slowly. Oh. <laughs> Sam, are this is the same Sam that's from my parish, Sam. It's gonna be brought into the church in a couple days because you have G-D, which is very Jewish uh, way of doing that, so I'm guessing this is, their, this is you, Sam. Wow, there you go. If G-O-D dash in between has unconditional love, why was he so harsh to Moses at the end by not saying the words? I know I always thought the same thing too, except for this. God has dealt with us as we deal with children. So when humankind, mankind was young, like when you have a baby, if they're playing with fire, you'll slap their hand and say, don't play with fire. But when your child is now, okay, not same child. Okay, well, <laughs> you sound like you're Jewish, okay, Sam. But anyway, so you slap their hands. Uh, but when you're 20, you don't slap their hands. So humanity has really grown. Again, in the Old Testament, it used to be an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It used to be that if a person Uh, committed adultery, they had to be stoned. That was the law, and yet Jesus came and he perfected the law and he goes deeper with it because mankind grew up. So he dealt with us differently throughout the centuries. That's why it's always important that you put the Old Testament in the context of pre-revelation of the Son of God. So we're not called to just live Old Testament ways. My father, who is buried out here, and I got to stop at his grave the other day, and as I stopped at his grave here, he's uh, uh, 38 years ago, he died here in Houston, Texas. But my dad once looked at me and he says, because he was a cop and he was very much into law, and he says, Larry, I believe in the God of the Old Testament. And I believe that Jesus was the son of God. But Jesus start changing the rules, like it used to be an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies. So God the Father got mad at him and had him killed. That's what my father believed. Now, that's a heresy, of course. But so sometimes if we put the Old Testament and con- don't put it in the context of the New Testament, God is an ogre. You have to always put things in the New Testament because even when God asks his son Abraham, Abraham to offer up his son, that's pretty bad. But we put it in the New Testament context that what God says to Abraham don't do, then God says, don't you give up your son to prove your love for me, Abraham. Abraham, I'll give up my son for you to prove my love for you. That's why John the Baptist introduces Jesus as behold the Lamb of God, why? Because Abraham says, to I, when Isaac says, Father, here is the wood and here is the fire. Where is the lamb for sacrifice? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb. And so when John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, behold the lamb of God, God himself provided the lamb. Everything must be put into the context of the grace of the New Testament. If not, you can get lost in the Old Testament. I have Catholic speaker friends that go nuts loving the Old Testament. We have to kill our enemies. We have to be strong. And I'm saying, uh, what did Jesus say about that? Put it in the context of grace. Put it in the context of what Jesus said. But still, we'll we'll go there. Okay. Does the church, Renee, hi, Renee. Does the church have a way to bless a potential marriage when they cannot get married by the... when they cannot get married by the state because person's disability and cannot get married because they will lose their benefits. In the United States, you need, it's against the law to marry someone without a legal license. Now, we can fix marriages and bless marriages that have already been married. Uh, But again, honest to goodness, I am not a canon lawyer. There might be ways, but for the best thing to do that, is I would call your diocese and talk to the tribunal, the marriage tribunal, and ask that very question. There's people, that's what they do all the time, and they'll be able to help you. Um, Because when it comes to the intricacies of like what you just asked, I've never had anybody ask me that before, and I really don't know, and so I don't want to lead you by saying something that would uh, not be fully right, okay? There we go. Thank you for your prayers. Hi, Genevieve Jude. Hi. Okay. Right after the consecration, one of the memorial acclamations is when we eat this bread, but it is no longer bread, then why do we say this? Thanks so much, Kathleen. The reason, um, like we say, we call it the bread of life. So it still has the appearance of bread, we still, Uh, It's just uh, another way of saying God, the bread of life. You know, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, you know, meaning that this is bread to eternal life. So it still has the appearance of bread, and that's why we still say, behold the lamb of God, or um, when we eat this bread, it's still, it's the bread of life, so it goes much deeper than that. So, okay. Eye for an eye was an improvement to what came before. You got that right. Uh, Father Larry, how do we deal with our loving Pope Francis says our lady is not (laughs) co-redemptress? It's never been explicit thing. That's why even under John Paul II, Father, um, oh, not Father, the guy down in uh, Steubenville when I was in seminary, they talked about Mary as co-redemptress and they looked at all the theology of it but he it's but even john paul ii did not declare mary co-redemptrix so it's in our theology but i did not read i i i saw his answer and then he explains why he doesn't believe she's co-redemptrix because, and I, I again, I, don't, I didn't read it, I just saw it. But, like I said, when I remember when I was in seminary, I went to my bishop and I says, Bishop, don't you think this is time we need to have this declared that Mary is co-redemptress. So, he's allowed to say that as Pope, it's still, everything happens with Mary, just like all of us become instruments of salvation as Mary did, but I don't know the exact theology, I have not read it. But again, the Pope can say that stuff. Listen, if it becomes between you and the Pope, who's right? It's the Pope, always and everywhere. If it comes between the Pope and a cardinal, who's right? The Pope, always and everywhere. Now, he needs to sit there and, uh, it's not infallible, uh, right, he's teaching right now, of course, uh, it has to be defined. That's why it still has not been defined. And John Paul who had such great devotion to Mary. If he didn't define it, there gotta be more reasons to it. Again, it's not one of my, I love our mother more than anything. I don't care what she's called. I have consecrated my life to her. I live for her. I say the rosary every day. I love her as my mother whether they ever declare her co redemptress doesn't matter to me at all. What matters to me, that she loves me, she prays for me, and she forms me as she formed Jesus. So, I wouldn't go, again, sometimes we get focused on things that we don't need to worry about. It can be a distraction. As long as you're focused on loving Mary, loving Jesus, and again, if John Paul II never declared that, or Benedict, then Francis, maybe he's the first one, and said, again, I have to go and I'm going to read that. I should have, and I said, he, he, he talks explicitly. So as always, what I'd encourage you to do when it comes to anything Pope Francis said is they actually have the document online. Everything he says is at the Vatican website. So actually download it and read it. And he says why he doesn't believe in that name. But he talked about how we need Mary and everything else. So, but read it because what happens is is you have people with agendas. And with these agendas, they come and they take one thing and put it out of context and they put it everywhere. And it's, you know, our Holy Father has great devotion to our Blessed Mother. The very first thing he did the day after he was made Pope was to go over to St. Mary Major and, sell, and bring flowers and put them in front of Our Lady of the people in Italy. Very first thing he did. He has great devotion to Our Lady. He's a very devotional pope. We, The people who don't like him get out of that, but you know, he's very devotional, (laughs) so I encourage you to go and to read what he said and why he doesn't buy it. But again, I have not, so I can't make a comment between any more than that. Okay. Oh, Yes, Michael Smith, when he said that, it's Paul who actually said that Abraham's faith was so strong, St. Paul says, that he knew that he could bring the life, someone back from the dead, that Abraham knew that even if he killed Isaac, God can bring him back from the dead. So that's why uh, it's St. Paul that originally said that. Okay. Yes, it is the feast of the Annunciation. We had a great mass here today. Uh, sorry, this is the way mass looked today, but it's an intimate thing, but it's not very uh, holy looking. If anybody ever sits there, they'll go like, well, Father Larry, look what he does. I know. Take one thing out of context, it can be bad. Okay, is there a particular reason you ask people not to leave mass directly after communion? It is of course rude, but they are missing the final blessing to their detriment. Well, sure, I ask, I don't ask them, I tell them, don't you dare leave mass early, because it's an insult to Almighty God. The first one we know that left the Last Supper early was Judas, it's called the Judas shuffle. And again, I always tell people, again, because if, if, if you just leave Mass early, it shows you don't give a care about Jesus Christ. You just don't. You are more concerned about you and getting out into the parking lot and getting to get your breakfast or lunch. But to be with Jesus, come on. So I, I, I have never bought it. I, even when I was here, I just everywhere I go, I just say, don't you insult God that way you know, because mass, we need the blessing. It's a whole thing. If you don't want to be bothered with the blessing, stay home, you know, that's all. Like my biggest thing, don't, don't sit there and think you're doing a God a favor because you come to mass and you stay there took communion, you left, oh, God bless you. Uh-uh. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, be a disciple. If you don't want to be a disciple, then sit at home and pretend to do something else. But if you come, you need to come and what must every mass cost you? your life, why? Because every Mass costs Jesus his life. It's a life for a life. And so again, uh, that was one of the very first things I ever said to my parish, don't you, unless you have diarrhea running down your leg, don't ever walk out that door before the final blessing, ever, because it's an insult to God. And so when I said it, I says to them, don't you ever insult God in my presence. And to walk out that door, as to insult God in my presence. So, when we're called to love people, we're also called to challenge them to love more. That's why Jesus was hard on the Pharisees. And that's what we got to do, but we do that so they fall in love more, not because they should already know better if they're coming to church every week. You know, mass is meant for disciples. Mass wasn't meant for the, uh, the masses. You know, preaching was meant for the masses. But once a person comes to discipleship, that's why they come to mass and that's why they should want it to go longer because they're already a disciple. But what happens is we tell people you have to go to mass or you're going to hell. So you have people that only care about themselves and not going to hell who go to church every week, not because they're in love with God, they want to do the least amount necessary so they can get into heaven one day. But like I say, you'll hate heaven anyway, because guess what? If you can't even spend an hour with Jesus every week, guess what heaven is? You're gonna spend forever and ever 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 with Almighty God. So if you don't wanna spend the full hour with him every week, you're gonna hate heaven because you have to spend eternity with him. Just a thought. So let's go on. Okay. Okay. Da, da, da. Thank you. Thank you. Again, tomorrow someone says, uh, why can't I say my Mass uh, on online tomorrow? Because I'm going to be leaving. I'm on my plane at 445. I'm not going to get back to my place till, uh, in Pittsburgh till about one o'clock. Then I'm going to see my mother. Then I'm going to go up and I might not do mass tomorrow night until nine o'clock at night. Um, depends, because I have to do my whole yard and I got to say mass. And uh, when I'm traveling in the morning, oh, I'll get it in. Uh, and it's not just getting it in, it's, it's my, my, what I have to do for the day, but when I'm leaving so early and I'm not going to get out of here tonight till about 9.30 or so, then i got to drive an hour to get to the airport, so uh, I always like, so just get up like at 2 o'clock in the morning tomorrow and say Mass. I could do, but it wouldn't be a... Um, pretty intimate Mass with me. It would just be like getting it done. I don't want to do that either. So, But I will do a podcast. I mean, a uh, pod beam with the homily because I can do that the night before and then uh, send it out in the morning. Uh, Schedule it. Okay. In the old days, people would go to the Queen, the mother who requests her son, King. She had great influence and was almost always granted. Think of the Blessed Mother asking Jesus on our behalf. Sure, Sam, but... We can also ask Jesus on, or on our behalf. She can, I don't have to ask her to pray on my behalf. I can ask her to pray with me. Because what we do is, Mary is not to, it's not to have another intercessor before Jesus. Mary prays with us and brings us to Jesus. But as the word of God says, there's only one intercessor, Jesus Christ. And everyone who intercedes, intercedes with us with him and in him. So when Mary prays for us and prays with us, she does it in Jesus. She is, she. Mary is nothing without Jesus Christ, right? And we gotta remember that. Like even when we talk about consecration, I am consecrated to Jesus through Mary. I'm consecrated to Joseph through Mary. And we always gotta keep that in context, okay? So, blessings from St. Margaret of York. That was a great place in Cincinnati. Tell your pastor and your assistant, tell them both I said hi, they're good guys. Um, I still get frustrated with my kids' lack of interest and faith even though I was that way when I was younger. Yeah, we all get that way. That's why you gotta tell them about, I think kids will respond better when we let them know, no one's gonna ever love them as much as God. Because the deepest need in everyone's heart is to be loved. When I do a high school retreat, that's where I begin. Because they're looking for love so much. But again, if we make them go to church, and I believe we have to, till they're 18, if we make them, they're going because, you know, you'll get mad if they don't. That's why we gotta make sure that we're telling them I want you to know how much you're loved. And for Jesus every week to give you himself. And again, even when you say that, if they don't know him, they just won't get it. But if they get to know more and more, they're loved. That's why like one of the first things I tell kids is to make sure they start reading Mark chapter one, verse 11, as young as possible. I say every day, go to that verse and read it and let God say that to you that you are my beloved son or you are my beloved daughter and let that enter into you. Or Isaiah 43, one to five. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. Think about how many children are constantly afraid. So again, one of those, this has been my favorite passage uh, since I was 16, 17. And when this uh, uh, series called uh, Chosen was on, and you know, I watched the first one, I'm thinking, what the heck, where's Jesus? It's a story about Jesus. And so, but it begins with the father looking at Mary Magdalene and saying that Isaiah 43 quote, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the water, I will be with you. You shall not drown. And then he, and he makes her learn that and quote that. And then she goes around and she loses God and she's possessed and everything else. And how does Jesus break her heart? And bring her to love he calls her by name mary do not be afraid i have redeemed you Oh, it's so unbelievable. So when a child is taught that thing and taught Isaiah 43 or taught Mark 111, that you memorize that, that you are loved because you are precious in my eyes, you are honored and I love you. And to make a kid memorize that so they can know that no one will love them like God. And so they gotta know that, not just go to the ritual. You'll go to mass because you live in my house. You'll go to mass because I want you to know that you're never alone and that God will never leave you. And He's always on your side. And if you do that, you'll be able to do anything knowing that God is with you. That's where I believe we have to begin with our kids. Okay. Do 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 do. I will offer my participation in the Station's Cross tomorrow for your birthday. Thank you. That's so nice again. Other, uh, others, that's great. With COVID protocols in place, we don't have folks leaving after communion. I'm hoping that our pastor will explain to folks, post-COVID, why they want to stay until the final blessing. I hope so too, <laughs> that's still, it gotta be more than uh, just making people do something. It's gotta be helping their hearts to change. That's the whole thing. Okay, yeah, I love The Chosen too. Blessed Virgin is invoked in the church under the titles of Advocate, Helper, Benefix, Mediatrix, a change of forthcoming, perhaps. Again, Mediatrix It's part of our theology, but to define it as a different thing altogether. You know, she's called a lot of things, uh, so St. Joseph. Uh, but again, no, they define her, but they're not dogmatic. Like for instance, you do not, as a good Catholic, do not have to believe in any apparition, right? We're encouraged to, but the church teaches, you do not have to. They are not necessary for salvation. Now, some people say, no, 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 you gotta believe in Fatima, you gotta believe in Lords. you gotta believe in uh, Guadalupe. I believe in all of those things, but you do not have to. As a good Catholic, it's not necessary for salvation, according to the teaching of the Catholic Church. This Gospels, the Word of God, and the teaching of the church has everything you need to be saved, period. And so apparitions, you can believe in them, but you don't have to believe in them. So even though like people come to me all the time, one guy's constantly trying to give me books on Medjugorje and oh, the chastisement, the chastisement is coming. Oh, promises, promises. When God comes and takes us home, that's gonna be our last day on earth and that's gonna be of uh, the world for us. And if we're living in his will, we have nothing to worry about. I don't buy these people to try to scare everybody into the faith because it doesn't last. And when these things don't happen, then it makes them doubt even more. God is love. In love, there's sometimes chastisement, but it's not a chastisement that destroys us, but a chastisement that saves us. Even in the book of Revelation, they bring these chastisements so people would be converted They still don't be converted. They don't want to be converted. So God will give them what they want forever, which is damnation. And the only thing damnation is people is separation from God. God gives you what you want and it's not him. So that is its own judgment and punishment all by itself. So we've got to make sure, think about the most loving person you know on this earth and make God at least that loving, please. Make God at least that loving, because nobody can love on this earth unless they got the love of God within them. Okay? Here we go. Let's go on here. We're going to be done here in a few minutes. New movie Resurrection, yes. Wishing you happy, da-da-da. Hi Father, questions, tattoos, acceptable or not? Acceptable. Uh, as long as they're not uh, something, they're not done in vanity only, and they're not done, you know, demonic or something like that. Now, the book of Leviticus says you cannot get a tattoo. The book of Leviticus also says you can't eat bacon. So, just so you know, so people might quote that to you. The book of Leviticus, I know a lot of priests with tattoos some with too many tattoos, but that's all beside the point. But the reality is that you can't quote the book of Leviticus when it says other things. You know, it talks about you're allowed slavery, you're allowed to treat women bad. There's a lot of things the book Leviticus says. And so you just can't pull something out of context. But yes, you can get a tattoo as long as it's uh, not part of your vanity. Like I have uh, one of my spirit directors years ago, he got a big tattoo on his heart of the sacred heart. And he was so proud. He was at Franciscan University and I was giving a talk in Washington. And he came down, he's in the service now. And anyway, he says, Father, look what I just got today. And he showed me this image of the sacred heart of Jesus, this uh, tattoo of the sacred heart of Jesus. And I went, BAM. And I slapped him in the on the tattoo, on the heart, and I go, and he goes, oh And now he said, now you have the pain of the heart of Jesus. And he says Thank you, Father. So again, so the reality is uh, that's the whole that's the whole thing. Yes, you can get one as long as uh, it's glorifying God and not yourself. Okay. So acceptable to get one on your face. So acceptable to get your face on me. Yeah, yeah. That would be really bad, and that might be this whole thing of damnation. Anyway. Okay, we got to go. Thank you so much for being with us. Next week, I think we're gonna uh, still have it during Holy Week, uh, and it will be back in uh, our regular stuff. And again, we're gonna be—we're not gonna keep it at this time because, again, like right now, we have a—the uh, top was 139 people that watched, and so we want to make this uh, so more and more people can watch it live, and they can answer the questions. A lot of people will watch this later, of course, taped but they don't have the chance to ask the questions in that. So we're still trying to figure out when that's going to be. But I ask you again, pray for me. Pray for me tomorrow as I head back. Um, We're flying back to Erie. I'm going to drive up to Erie, uh, flying back to Pittsburgh, and then I'm going to drive up to Erie. So uh, pray that I have safe and smooth. That's always why I pray safe and smooth every time I fly, safe and smooth, (laughs) because I don't like the other stuff. Anyway, know that I'm praying for you. Pray for me, please. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless, keep, and protect you, He who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Holy Week. We'll see you next week, God willing.